All right. I want to say a big welcome back and thank you to all of our council members here for the Council of Lit. Uh, you got another exciting episode planned for you all. We've got two amazing guests coming to visit us today. Uh, the first is Carmen Pratt. She's a 22-year-old environmentalist who uses her social media platforms and modeling for education and awareness. Her mission on Earth is to help the collective connect back to nature as our truest form. We also have Hitomi Mochizuki, uh, and she is a wellness creator who shares about sustainability, veganism, and mental health, mainly on her YouTube channel. Um, she is passionate about deconstructing shame and living in a fully embodied way to bring healing to the collective. So thank you again to both of you for joining us. <laughs> thank and, you. Uh, let's, let's get on into it. <laughs> so honored to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I hope that all that is spoken today helps integrate some beautiful lessons for the collective and uplift ourselves and each other. Mm. Uh -huh. <laughs> cool. So uh, we have some questions uh, written down that maybe we could use to get the ball rolling or beautiful. if there's anything you wanted to share right off the bat. Um, no, I'm a pretty open book. So whatever cool. uh -huh. has come into your field to be asked i'm happy to answer you, you want to pull up the list and maybe uh i just want to acknowledge um this moment <laughs> real quick okay yeah before yeah. we even get into this i, I just want to um acknowledge that we're doing this podcast and it's kind of hopefully channeled from something greater than just ourselves and um i feel honored that we have these amazing guests on this show <laughs> so i just wanted to bring some awareness to how cool that is so thank you for being here and it's freaking for, dope thanks for spirit you yes. can happen Thank you for hosting a space that allows like such a beautiful variety of people to come on and for just continuing to help humanity like with any lessons like anyone you're going to have on this show and just by you guys being here is already such a beautiful lesson to humanity and you guys are teachers and students at the same time so just like thank you for that thank you for setting the intention to host and create a space for people to share whatever they want. <laughs> that's what Thank they you. Guys. We're blessed. That's, that's very sweet of you. That's why it's a council. Thank you so much. Do you were you called to kind of share? Do you feel like there's something in your life that you're doing that you're trying to anchor into this world and this reality right now? Or like what is your mission and kind of can you tell us a little bit about what you're about? So my freshman year of college, I was an environmental studies major. And I remember the things I was learning in class seemed so incredibly important and so incredibly heartbreaking that it felt like the biggest issue of our lifetime. Like the things I was learning about how our earth was projected to go was absolutely breaking my heart. In fact, a big turning point for me was learning about, this is called the point of no return. And it's uh, this projection that by 2030, we have created so many emissions that humanity cannot potentially reverse the effects of releasing greenhouse gases and fossil fuels into the atmosphere. And when I learned about that, I remember I was sitting on my balcony and I was scrolling through social media and it was, you know, it was college. It was just a very generic feed of people's scrolls. And I was like, kind of having a panic attack. I was like, why is no one talking about this? This is the most important thing of our generation. And something kind of clicked in me, like no one's talking about this you know, social media is almost like a stage where everyone kind of tries to act the same. And I started connecting these dots and I decided if no one's talking about this, 
I want to talk about this. And that was February of 2019, and I kind of just went with it since. <laughs> nice. So that's why I think education and awareness are so important and such a big catalyst for change and why, yes, there are naked booty photos on my feed but that's not my that's not like those that's are a hobby that's the clickbait that's right. my clickbait mm-hmm. yeah that's my yeah that's that's the means but what's ultimately important is the education and awareness i'm trying to bring into the field because yeah i do think it's the biggest issue of our lifetimes and i think it's an issue that people are becoming more aware of. And what's beautiful education is there's no shaming in education. There's truly just this intention to learn and grow. And so if humanity can continue, and not just me as an anchor, like by being born on this earth, we are all environmentalists. I am no greater than the next person. Just coming to that awareness though and coming back to that oneness and connection with nature, I think are so important to healing ourselves and the collective and the earth because we are all intertwined in that and so that's ultimately what i'm doing do you think there's a correlation to how we treat ourselves to how we treat the earth absolutely i think you know there's great sustainability tips like bring your reusable bags bring this bring that but to really heal the earth you have to start within genuinely because from a spiritual perspective i think before we're born we make a contract with mother earth And in that contract, we promise to honor and respect her and live in harmony with her. And whenever we break that contract, we let greed and evil take over. So I think a lot of people have these broken contracts within them. And when we can remember that and re-anchor that in, we are are healing. So yeah, to heal, like heal your gut, heal your heart, heal your headspace. And I think the fastest way to do that is to get into nature and is to appreciate nature and to let all the background noise of life and all these distractions that are in our field like fade away and just really anchor in that connection back to nature. Nice. We are, it is a, it is a mistake to think of ourselves as like above nature, not part of nature. Like anything in our field that's telling us that is, is brainwashing. Mm. I completely agree. I, just to bounce off of that, I feel like a lot of people don't, have a relationship with nature and that's why they don't prioritize doing more sustainable things making more ethical choices because they don't have spirit talking to them they don't feel the elements Mm -hmm. on their skin every day and I think that's caused a lot of the destruction that we're seeing is we've Mm -hmm. been so disconnected from nature so a return is vital for people to like really have this yeah kinship and relationship with the earth that gives us so much and absolutely I was just going to ask how you alchemize everything that you're learning because I think a lot of people also avoid learning about climate change because it just seems so irreversible at this Mm -hmm. point we're not fully there yet but I mean I get drowned in climate anxiety all the time Mm -hmm. and feeling so powerless because in a capitalistic structure, it almost seems like even if we do use reusable straws and stop shopping at H&M, there are still these huge superpowers that are contributing to exploitation of people mm-hmm. in the earth. And it's like, what what do we do with all of this information? How do you sit with that and continue to be positive? That's a beautiful awareness to, to bring up because I think it's relatable for a lot of people. I think you hear things like the point of no return or fossil fuels and you go out and you observe how much unnatural human-made structures there are and you just start to feel overwhelmed. I think 
if there are infinite possibilities, there's also the possibility that we can anchor in something better. I think we have a d bunch of different words for it, whether it's New Earth or 5D or just dismantling of systems. But the thing about true environmental justice, it is contingent. It is not without racial, economic, social, and other forms of justice. So to truly do that on an individual level, it absolutely matters. It absolutely doesn't mean just throw in the towel, go buy like a thousand straws and like throw them at sea turtles. Like it means like, you know, continue to, to lead by example and continue to do as much as you can. You know, I think a single mom collecting plastic bags is just as much of an environmentalist as someone who gets to own like all the sustainable luxuries because even owning sustainable things is is an economic luxury those things are not cheaper than the alternatives but that doesn't mean someone who uses plastic is any less environmental than someone who gets to use bamboo cutlery mm -hmm. because it's about access and a true environmental justice is indigenous people rights people people of color rights black rights like that is this that is true and that is not just an individual issue that is a collective structural capitalist white patriarchal all those words so much <laughs> intersectionality absolutely so it's a web so we can start from within we can start with individuals and we can acknowledge our oneness as humans and on this planet so yeah when you have sub or 100 companies producing 71 percent of global emissions why should it matter if you drive a hybrid or a gas car I mean, you can look at it collectively. If everyone was doing that, it would ultimately make a difference. Mm. So that doesn't mean don't do it. Yeah. And there's those shifts happening. Like there is so much power in numbers. Mm -hmm. So even if you are just doing your best and doing within your means and doing within your honor to the earth, you're honoring not only your contract, but you're ultimately helping collectively. If, you know, if one person a day didn't use plastic bags, that's 7 billion less plastic bags in circulation it matters but ultimately yeah this this industry and this power and this brainwashing this disconnect from nature are what has to go and putting things in charge and structures in charge that aren't oppressive is going to help that entire web and the more people change the more there will be a call to action to have better leaders who actually care and yeah i think a lot of awareness has been spread recently like exponentially on indigenous rights and mm -hmm. this whole idea of land back and a lot of prophecies that the indigenous people spoke about how when the last river is poisoned and the last tree is cut down the white man will know that they can't eat money and mm -hmm. i feel like we're kind of getting to that place where people can start to absolutely nothing we do not our humanity our arts our politics our wars our governance our art our music matters if we don't have a livable planet to do it on so can it, so that's the most important issue of our lifetime not even who's in charge but who is actually seeing things for how they are and i think there is a lot i think we can dissolve our ego in 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 the earth eco ego and eco but I think there's so much out there that that prevents us from that, that is a blockage. And so stepping under that is going to help stepping away from like, even just observing, like I do this in cities, like what is the impact of the things I'm seeing, these billboards, these buildings, these streets, these roads, like this exhaust in the air, like, and then you multiply that by like millions and you're like, it's overwhelming. That comes back to that like feeling of like overwhelmingness, but it's like 
if it's if it's one less person biking and if or one more person biking and one less car off the road like that also that's the flip side but with every worst case scenario i think to help your mental health you have to imagine the best case scenario <laughs> definitely i saw this thing on instagram that was like put world peace on your vision board and i feel like <laughs> most people don't do that just envision a world of peace and i mean in your mind what does the new earth look like because I don't mm. believe that there's ethical consumption under capitalism. Like, what does a grounded, realistic version of the new earth look like to you? Well, I almost argue that currently humans are at our least evolved. Like, we have halted evolution. We've actually backslid. Because up until um, industrialization took over, we were in harmony with nature. We were doing regenerative agriculture. We were living within our means and then this industry boom happened and it was just like innovation without thought of like the repercussions and we're seeing the repercussions now in this timeline and they've accelerated like this really started getting bad in like the 1960s almost this hasn't even been like a full long process and um i think it's it's unwise too to go too far into optimism and just picture a utopia so I think to ground in what I could see like realistic is like walkable cities, renewable energies. Like it's crazy to me that we have this infinite source of power in the sky and we have infinite sources of energy and we're using fossils that we have to extract from the ground that are very finite. Mm -hmm. I think um, our over-reliance on plastic, I could see us reverting back into like refill stores, regenerative agriculture. It, it can be small steps, but they can have major implications. Yeah, it must be hard to overlay that into a city like New York or something where it's just so not, it has, it's not, the structure isn't built on Things like sustainability. community gardens for every 10,000 people and collective, like, I think our food systems really need to change. I think that's a huge way to start with, um, with healing, starting back with healing ourselves, healing our gut, you know. Why is it you can get sashimi in Tennessee right now and we have this huge agricultural imports when like if we just utilize the land that the land could provide, we'd be in a different zone. It's and convenient though. It's like almost like how do you how do you make money while being sustainable and having all of your modern conveniences that we're used to right now? Like who's willing to make the sacrifice of just eating seasonally, only eating locally or what, what can we do to transport our food to other places? Or what are some, some resources that we have as humans to be more sustainable? I, the biggest one right now would be to step away from fossil fuels. And I think tapping back into that infinite source, you know, the production of things like solar panels do take fossil fuels currently. But if we've innovated to that, we can innovate away from that. Mm. Like we are, imagine planes solar paneled, no admissions, carbon negative, transporting that. Imagine regenerative agriculture instead of monocropping and mono agriculture. Imagine not putting, you know, like seven billion land animals to death every day in giant farms that are cruel and inhumane. We've done it before. We can do it again. And that's why I view this time currently as like the opposite of evolution for humans because like no intelligent involved species would destroy their home on this scale. I kind of have this belief that people will like always do what's easiest, you <laughs> yeah. know? So like how to make doing what's right easy well, coming, for the masses. Coming back to that, like this is the most important issue of our lifetime. 
if you had to choose between like and change is uncomfortable i'm not saying that word sacrifice does come up but would you rather sacrifice some of those conveniences (laughs) or like maybe like your home or your your the people and you know climate change isn't this impending disaster it is very much here you see it in the increase of flooding the increase of snow the droughts the heat waves the wildfires it's not this issue we can push away it's just a matter of when and you have big businesses or certain people being like that's not even happening that's what i was gonna say i like, think it's interesting that people are arguing that <laughs> it's not actually a real thing that's what like, the people in charge want there's mm-hmm. people who say global warming is not real like what do you say to that what do you say to somebody who says that well or that we're not they think it's a leftist propaganda <laughs> yes which is great. Um, <laughs> Without saying that, though, what would you say to somebody who, who thinks that? If I wanted to come at it from a factual standpoint, I would yeah. say 97% of all scientific papers have proven that climate change is... It's, it, there's even terminology to call it a, call it a climate crisis. Like, it's here. Mm. And the 3% of papers that said climate change is not real were all proven to be false in peer-reviewed studies. So on a scientific level, but even the question of science has been called into speculation right right now, right? So I would say, you know, this is a bit of a tangent, but Parley Oceans does this thing where they take people who own companies like Shell, BP, you know, Adidas even, and they take them on these boats, and they take them on these boats to the middle of the Pacific, super nice boat, and they show them with their own two eyes like the plastic, like the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. They show them with their own two eyes, melting ice caps, take them on these super nice yachts. Oh, like, here's this free trip. And they're like, if you can deny reality when it's in front of your face, you're kind of a lost cause. So if you can't look at pictures or facts or even just your own personal experience with it, like the Texas freezing over the other year. Like, Yeah. yeah. Things are getting really interesting. The fires in California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, the yeah. the later winters, the warmer winters, the flooding in New York, the hurricanes. Like, if you can't deny what's happening, like if you only trust what you see with your own two eyes, yeah, that's reality. If you are detached from reality, there's not much you can do. You're just in your delusions. And the th- I feel like people are inherently good, and they mm-hmm. want to just raise their family, have kids, pass down a good or clean earth to their Mm -hmm. future generations and just work a job or do whatever they do and just live their life and have fun at the beach or go in the woods or whatever they do. So like what can, what systems do need, like do we need to put into place to just make it accessible for everybody? Or like what do we need to do to raise serious awareness and also just make it easy for people? One one thing I would really like to do and one thing I would eventually like, and this could be a good tangent into OnlyFans because I'm worried that that might limit me at some point, but I would like to get environmental education into schools the way math and science and language arts are because I think education is hugely expansive, but taking our kids, taking the next generation, every generation is going to carry the burden of this. So teaching the future generations about this with the same importance and gravity that like learning the quadratic formula has might be really freaking good for the humanity and for the collective. So getting environmental education in 
an accessible public way and that education needs to include like field trips into nature and an appreciation to nature I think that could be hugely expansive and then those kids are growing up to be the people in charge and then those kids host the knowledge if if we're continuously like cultivating knowledge and awareness around an issue I think it has really good like impacts and a snowball effect like once the people in charge expire who aren't going to deal with these consequences and the younger people come in I I see like especially Gen Z just being one of the most tolerant most like ready for radical change generations but I I agree but I do think yeah getting education into the schools that connects people back to nature and kids are so moldable which is part of the issue right with like being brainwashed from a young age but if we could change that into something more pure I could see that being really positive so yeah one of my missions to get back to your first question is to get environmental education into every school that sounds amazing and I feel like a lot of people are also learning from social media so you're starting where you can and I've learned so much about the environment and the climate crisis through TikTok (laughs) those videos go viral TikTok teaches me so much that I didn't learn in school there's like indigenous creators and people who are just so well researched on there and you can get little doses of it and it's deeply impacted the way that I show up I'm trying to tap into TikTok yeah (laughs) I support that (laughs) and an and did your tiktoks out there people. and you also give a percentage of your only fans money to a charity every month yeah i um i choose an environmental charity every month and i've been doing this thing because i've been island hopping a little bit lately um wherever i am i try to donate to so like i was on maui in september and i found this amazing co- company it's i think kuleana corals and um like researching them and being like this is a great thing to support and I'm on Maui so I'm not just here to like observe Maui but I actually want to help protect Maui like I think um Hawaii's talked about having tourists get taxed when they land then that money goes to the land I mean that could be great oh yeah that could protect so many places Mm -hmm. and hopefully giving it back to the communities out here as well so yeah I donate um percentage every month to a different environmental charity and like the Kauai Humane Society has been amazing sustainable coastlines is super active on Oahu protect Mauna Kea on Big Island like if I'm on Kauai for long like the month I'll try to do Kauai but if I'm hopping somewhere else I think it's good to acknowledge that I'm there and that it's important to like yeah be part of it and not just be like it's not an amusement park it's like a living cultural piece of land and it's good to help honor that, I think. feels good in my heart, at least. I think that's something that people don't think about is what can I contribute to this place instead of what can I take? Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe there should be more like awareness or just make it in people's space. This is what you can do to support this land. Because I think, like you said, people are good and they want to give back. They just don't necessarily know where to turn. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be a really good idea since both of us have some sort of following. I'm sure you share resources and links, but mm-hmm. just to have like all the different links of how you can help different causes and yeah. just make it really easy for people. I have a link tree and in, in that is, um, like I just talked about, a wild orca named kiska that like broke my heart so i like i have a lot of petitions in there which are Mm -hmm. awesome and then i do have like links to different places you can donate to that i've donated to i do a birthday fundraiser every year to like ocean cleanup or world wildlife fund like there is power in donating oh and more dreams of mine (laughs) i am intending to launch a brand 
um, called Mermaiden in the Sea, like Mermaiden, like a maiden. Mermaiden. The sea. That's really cute. It's like a little pun. (laughs) And the first thing I'm going to do is um, hopefully launch beaded body chains that take a pound, half a pound to a pound of ocean plastic on a hemp string and then seed tags that you can plant in water and like grow little herbs for yourself. Um, And I want a percentage of that to go to a different organization every month, kind of the way like Lush Cosmetics does that, like their charity pots and stuff. So that's another download, like creating something with a lot of consciousness and intention behind it. I wanna do like evil eye beads, chakra beads, um, uh, beads for new mothers or expecting mothers, like fertility protection and ISIS and divine feminine symbols and like so forth. It's another project. Nice. So uh, in the beginning you mentioned like um the first step is like connecting back to nature right Mm -hmm. so i'm just trying to think of this like from a perspective of somebody say you're living in a city and Mm -hmm. you don't really know anything about this stuff and they're just tuning in for the first time and first of all how do you connect to nature and also other than donating what is something that somebody can actually physically do in their life to make a difference even if it is small as a one person picking up trash is such a good way to observe like humans impact on nature and it feels good to remove it from the ecosystem whether you're in a beach park wood setting um the nice thing about cities is they're in a pretty small designated space so i think anyone listening like on your free time take the time to nurture yourself and take yourself into nature whether it's on a hike for a day or just like observing a park in your neighborhood there humans are fighting this like uphill battle against nature like no matter where you are she is present even if you're looking at like Times Square in New York like you can look up at the sky that's the same sky we all have and yeah nature will always like yeah we're constantly fighting a battle like to try to out innovate her but nature knows what we don't and that's that she can always come back to us yeah, I feel like there's always, there's been this kind of disconnect, like nature is bad, it's scary, it's going to hurt you, it's, it's dirty. dirty, it's the most wild one. Yeah, but I feel like it should just be, we should leave a part of the planet just as it is, you know, how can we just leave a portion or many portions of the planet, like just forests or just wildlife or nature protected reserves. Parks you know? and nature reserves and protected, yeah, those areas are so important and I think there's one in every state state so even if you're in a city making the time to explore the things around you is so crucial or like on vacation if you're in a super touristy area look at things around that look at like where else you can be present with the place you're in we are i am infinitely lucky to have grown up around like a lot of rugged nature and very much like a little wild child kind of thing but for people who don't your your connection to nature isn't severed just because you're living in an apartment. You just have to remember it and cultivate it. And yeah, in New York, you can go to upstate New York. In LA, you can go to the mountains, to the beach. There's, it's it's a limiting mindset to think just because you're in a city, like, oh, no nature for me. There are people in cities are actually starving for nature. And I mm-hmm. lived in New York for most of my life. And there are so many free things that you can do in cities. Anyone who's listening to this who feels disconnected, there are free yoga classes, outdoor movies, Tai Chi in the park. There are so many people just 
coming together to calm their nervous system in nature. And so there are definitely outlets for you to release, even in a busy city. Going into nature is not something you're ever going to regret. It'll help connect you back to something that is like ancestral and beyond like your own comprehension. It's funny because it almost does it for you in a way. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I went <laughs> to the river to today, <laughs> this morning, and I was just standing by the river, and I was just like, ah. Yeah. Like, wow. You didn't I, even have to try. I didn't have to do anything. I just got. I just went there, and mm -hmm. I felt at peace, like more than I did five minutes before. Absolutely. And so, you know, that that's something too. You know, just go outside and just stand there. I make a conscious effort to swim every day because I love the feeling of like water yeah. around me so even like sorry i'm still stuck on the city question but like even if you're in a city the water from your shower head <laughs> you can sit in there and do like a water meditation or a water ritual and like let that cleanse you and thank the water for being there and thank the land for providing you with the water and thank the water for cleansing your body like i think waters and showers very calming for a reason and a good act of self-care yeah, that just makes me think about how the water that we have today is the same water that the dinosaurs drank mm -hmm. and that it just never goes away. It just continues like evaporating and it's just been here for us for all these years. And so, yeah, even your showerhead water, it's like a waterfall. Yeah, I always think about that when I'm in the shower. It reminds me of a previous episode we did that I just listened to with Chris. Actually, we were talking all about water and uh, he was actually talking about how like nuclear fallout on the planet since mm. that has happened like the bombings that mm. have occurred like in uh, Hiroshima and things like that have affected the quality of the water and then he started talking about this crazy idea I don't know if it was like factually true or not um, like off my memory but about like underground aquifers that have been untouched by nuclear fallout because they're so deep beneath the earth's surface mm. and how he referred to them as like um primary water sources or like the primary water source and it was cool to think about stuff like that too because like you can tell the difference of drinking water from a spring and drinking water from your tap you know mm -hmm. and the piping and all that stuff and that's a whole no other thing um another good episode you could check out but um yeah i don't know where i was going with that yeah i mean you think people will tap into those was that what chris was saying that people will tap into these primary water some of sources springs or? i think are tapped into some of that yeah and um this might be a cool thing for you to uh know about too is he has this thing um this service where you can go online and it's cold and hot springs all across the world mm. wherever your location is you can find one near you so maybe for somebody in a city you could do this if you wanted to get to some fresh natural water you could look up one in your area or also if you know one that's not on there you can add that as well pictures photos directions things like that mm -hmm. um, but thinking about it that's that's a really good thing for me every time I jump into a river and swim in nature it's very very cleansing and mm -hmm. I feel like it brings me to the present moment in a way that's like not a lot of things do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing, too, is I feel like people spend so much time inside and, and on screens mm -hmm. that, like, there's, like, this thing that gets created. It's like, I don't want to go away. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go away from the screen. I just want to be on my screen. I call all, all of that of, what's it? It's, like, busy noise. Like, okay. there is so much in this current timeline that is... I think meant to increase our ego and meant to distract us. 
because you're right you can go into nature and that purity and that connection back to that sacred contract you make comes right back up yeah nature doesn't view us as apart from her we have just made the mistake of viewing us as greater than or able to out innovate or able to out maneuver never gonna work but that's what our egos have let us think and those things staying inside it's it's a form of brainwashing i think and like the screen time and i think this chapter this pandemic collectively we're going through has kind of had either like a lot of people go into nature now because they're so stuck at being inside or people have gotten way too comfortable in this yeah. like metaverse reality of like being disconnected but i think yeah going into a place with no service is so powerful and going into a place where you're actually forced to be off your phone and forced to be present in a way you can't really get more and more is like incredibly healing and making time for that or even just if you can't go escape all the time just going on airplane mode observing around you like quiet meditation is incredibly healing and to maybe find a way to work with what we have today, with the technologies. And I don't know if humanity is ready to fully just be in nature all the time. No. You know? So it's like, how do we integrate what we have now with... Te technology is not inherently evil. Yeah. It's a tool. It's how like we use it. Any tool, yeah, we can misuse it, but we can also use it for the good. Mm -hmm. I think technology, if we innovate in a way that's more learning from indigenous strategies and more pure strategies and tapping into our infinite resource of the sun <laughs> it's like it's right there like we can get it <laughs> yeah um, I also, oh, gonna, oh is, is is gonna serve us and yeah i technology is not the issue it's the way we are operating I think that there needs to be more media that inspires people to go outside. Mm -hmm. Pokemon Go was a game that made everyone go outside and get exercise. I saw so many people actually interacting with each other. Wait, they get exercise? The game, yeah, like they're just walking around trying to okay, catch Pokemon. Okay. And then I also think <laughs> so I realized them running after oh Pokemon when you said that. I don't know if you ever saw that game, but I was oh, on yeah, the East yeah. Coast and everyone was playing I it. And then yeah. I also think that tracking screen time has been so beneficial because I mean, shame isn't always the best way to change, but people will see that they had like 10 hours of screen mm -hmm. time and be like, oh my God, it's actually so much worse than I think. And yeah. that's really beneficial. So I think creating more media that promotes connection to nature is just maybe part of what the new earth looks like mm -hmm. is teaching people how to garden from a gardening app and I don't know, getting rewards for like going outside. And, and I, and I love social media for that. Like social media is the first time humanity's had this global tool to connect with people. Yeah. And yeah, we mostly use it to help our egos, but it doesn't have to be like that. It can actually be a tool to to I think if more people talked about what they're passionate about and what they feel like is their own mission, that's a positive impact on the world. Absolutely. And so it, yeah, it's it's a mistake to say like we just have to like cut the power grid and go live off grid forever. Like that's not the new earth. Yeah. Technology has its purpose and its place. It's just finding new ways to use it in a way that's beneficial to our human selves and to the earth. And people like to be rewarded, like you said, like the, they want to have fun. So how can we find a way to make capitalism fun <laughs> or conscious capitalism? Conscious capitalism. Or is that not even possible? It's actually funny you say that because I looked up my name because I was trying to find links to this article that I did an interview for. And I saw someone mention me in an article saying how I promote 
what I promote isn't actually real, that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, like even shopping secondhand, there's still someone who's being exploited in that. So I'm just so curious, like what, yeah. does it exist or not? I mean, this woman was saying that it doesn't exist and it's like, well, what more can we do? Like you mentioned, we're not just gonna sit well, around and not make- your, One of your posts, I think, was something about like being naked is the most sustainable, sustainable way <laughs> yeah. to live. Oh, but that's I, not actually- I swim naked every day. I, I mean, that's not how we live though. Water is a sentient being. <laughs> Especially if you live in a cold place. Yeah, and but, who wants to pay? Yeah. Like, I'm wearing a freaking sixty dollars no. stupid shirt. I'm gonna that's flex. <laughs> the human that, like I'm gonna stain and throw away. And like, what's the? I think a mistake that some. It's like, um, how do you afford to actually pay what things are caught? Like, I think sustainable you know, like, like clothing and stuff is really almost elitist, and not everyone can afford it. Absolutely, so that's crazy, a really eh? big. I think yeah. I think the I think the issue that some people. Um, environmentally run into is this this all or nothing mindset this kind of perfectionist mindset okay like we can only be zero waste we can only wear hemp now we can only do solar panels it's not gonna be like a switch flip it's gonna be a continuous unfolding some some of this is has to be more urgent because we're heading to a brink but it's it's not about reaching this like perfect utopia. It's just about improving the one we have. And some of those improvements, like, it's not fair to ask someone living paycheck to paycheck to, oh, you can't be an environmentalist because you don't own non-GMO hemp organic clothing that's $300 and you, you know, you use plastic cups. Like, that's, that's not true environmentalism to me. That's also just classism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, which isn't, yeah, it ties back to that that idea that racial, economic, and social justice are going to be linked to this. There's no way to untie it from that. So it's, 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 it's a tricky line between not being pessimistic about the future but not being overly optimistic into, like, we're just going to launch into a utopia. That's just bypassing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, like I It's like, that. what are practical choices we can make to just improve? What is something that benefits the world? What about people who think they're doing something good? Like, oh, I have a Tesla, <laughs> but the energy that they're using to charge their Tesla is actually from a coal-fired power plant. From a fossil fuel. And, and the batteries. Also, what happens yeah. when the battery dies is one of the most toxic thing a that great, can be put back into the earth. Well, the, as I've the, the battery source is, is a huge... Same with the cell phones, too. Yeah, yeah. it's a huge human rights violation. <laughs> and I... The yeah, the, I think it's lithium battery. The it's pulled yeah. out of yeah. Like I think Elon overthrew a democratic government so you continue to mine and it's like child labor. Like it's incredibly messed up. Mm -hmm. um, this is a great term I learned last year. It's called greenwashing. I was just gonna say <laughs> that. And greenwashing green is just as bad as I would say. Just it's it's a form of lying where like you companies use terms like sustainability or eco-friendly that don't have like a they don't have a legal basis behind them so you or can like throw it out legitimate certification you can no throw regulations. it out no matter what yeah there's no regulation and what greenwashing does is it it satisfies like oh i'm doing something right when it, it's harming it's like coca-cola repackaged their 
bottles in green and people were buying them because they said you can oh you can recycle them only nine percent of everything has ever been recycled that's ever been produced even if it's recyclable that's Most, why reduce and reuse are the first things and yeah. you shouldn't rely on recycling even if you take it to the recycling place you're saying yeah sometimes it's in landfill it's it's not a perfect system okay. we need a closed circle yeah but who's actually really holding anybody accountable you know, no one. Like, well, that's I just, the thing. There like, are a the lot of The environment is kind of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're all like, you're not going to Yeah, Earth's going to shake us. I mean, that's why it's good to use discernment. And that's why simply doing your best is, I think, the true way to be an environmentalist. Because, yeah, I don't think everyone should be driving Teslas. I, I drive a hybrid. I love the gas mileage on it. It's still not the perfect solution. It still has a carbon footprint. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's going back to the idea of, A, that environmentalism is going to be a one-size-fits-all, that we all have to do a specific action, object, item, and that's going to make us better. Mm. It's really about living within our own means to improve. Like, if you do have access to farmer's market and locally sourced food, why wouldn't you be buying from that? How can we change and improve our systems? How can we elect people who care? How can we integrate? And and I think that comes back to education helping transform this narrative mm-hmm. into something greater and just getting away from buying single-use pra- uh, plastic mm-hmm. or just watching like have any of you either just for one year just collected every all of your own trash or all of your own everything and just see what actually how much you produce oh like my what gosh. a footprint you leave and how quickly it adds and then up. that goes back to the question is that our responsibility or is that the the industries that have made us reliant on that responsibility or is it both in a way I, I think it's tough to say that the industry has made you reliant on it because I think we're all kind of free in a way to make our own decisions and choices mm-hmm. so to put the blame on them 100% I think personally is a little bit of like mm-hmm. an, an escaping kind of scapegoat kind of vibe mm-hmm at least that's totally well you vote with your, you vote you're with your dollar with right? your dollar yeah well that's what you say I mean What's easiest people are going to do, it seems like, you know, especially if that's all they've one, ever known. One thing yeah. I would love if, it, not if it was passed yeah. is um, having to provide your own container. Like, you have to bring your Tupperware. And it would get weird at first. Like, you kind of have to phase out all these single-use plastics. Mm-hmm. But yeah. this is going to go back to the collective. Like, I have Tupperware at my house. The pandemic made weird rules, no reusable cups. But if we just adjusted, and again, change is scary, but if we adjusted to something as simple as, like, restaurants and services are no longer giving you cups or anything disposable you have to bring your tupperware you have to bring your containers and then on like a small scale that's just one person having to remember one more thing but on a massive scale that's probably like a hundred million pieces out of circulation yeah that's so true i mean they could just sell people reusable rubber coffee couplets and you just bring your own lid It's not hard to just leave it in your car either and bring it away. Yeah, I think we're adjusting to that. And I think, like, phasing stuff like that out, like, it's a small thing, but it it does have an impact. Mm -hmm. And it's it's hard to not completely take responsibility because also you have to look at what options people are given in these scenarios. Yeah, in some towns, like, the only cucumber you can get is wrapped in plastic Mm -hmm. or you want something... It's like some places are just not as progressive we, as others. Especially we in communities with people of color. Yeah. And mm. food deserts. And, exactly. And wow. the way it's cheaper to do that. And it diminishes the quality of like what you're eating. You know, 
humans are now have plastic in their in their food chain humans on average eat the equivalent of a credit card per week of plastic and we don't know the effects of that yeah. is that humans who eat meat and fish or it's a it's a generalization so it's an average so like that doesn't have to apply to us necessarily but yeah. it is a proven thing that plastic has entered our food chain and the long-term effects of that it's like this idea that like it's like a good metaphor is Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> like we created something and we think we're above the repercussions of it. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna continuously be part of us until we address it. It's crazy, I, yeah. Cause like, um, <laughs> doesn't plastic come from the earth? Like, plastic what, what, is what a- do they, What do you say to somebody who says that? Well, it just takes so long to break down is the problem. Yeah, a yeah. durable it come, plastic. It comes from oil, right? Fossil fuel. It's a byproduct of fossil fuel. So they make gas, and then they have stuff left over, and they make that into plastic that we use to... Polymers. Yeah. Kind of stuff, right? Durable plastics like water bottles take 450 years to break down, and they're used on average for a minute. I mean, just logically, they're that's not so sustainable. Yeah. Why do we have something that's in circulation for a short period of time, but mm-hmm. the effect of it is so much longer? It's just funny that you say that because you're like a meme king and I thought about this meme where there's just a forest and it's like, how did we make the internet out of it? <laughs> yeah. It took like a lot of <laughs> How do we get Bluetooth? It, yeah, we've just really strayed from yeah. our connection. Can we talk about uh, being vegan for a second or like about the um, animal? Yeah. Animal agriculture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, can we talk about that? I feel like you I guys, you guys all yesterday. know a lot more about it than I do, but... So my take on this, my take on this as someone who's been a vegan for coming up on eight years is fishing, hunting and farming are not the issue for hundreds of years. We did that and we had no issue. I'll never tell someone to stop eating animal products because it's, it's not this, the idea of it isn't the issue and indigenous people and people like of color have been doing this sustainably for centuries for their whole ancestral lineage it's the way we're doing it it's it's the mass manipulation of animals into something marketable it's the it's the hormone disruptors to make the calves grow bigger and fatter it's shoving chickens into a cage where they can't move that's not natural and that's not sustainable. If it was vegetables, that wouldn't be sustainable, but it's an animal that's gonna take feed, crop and land to raise. And water. And water. I saw this funny thing, it was like, (laughs) well, I say funny, but it's more fucked up, honestly. It's like, how do we have the resources to feed seven billion farm animals every year, but not enough resources to feed like two billion starving people? Yeah, and the farm animals eat a lot. Yeah, things like soy, soy, 73% of soy is grown for animal feed. It's like vegans aren't quite the issue here. (laughs) Um, I think, I think utilizing, it comes back to regenerative agriculture. It comes back to, yeah, the current system in place is absolutely not sustainable and I can't defend industrial animal agriculture, but I can't say that the answer is no animal products either. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it is classist to say, like, we all just have to stop eating meat. It's not that simple. But I think trying to get meat from more locally sourced, more humanely raised, which is another word that people can use without having anything to back it up. Yeah. But just making small conscious choices like that or just trying to cut it out. Meatless Mondays, 
meatless Saturdays. I don't know, like just making it vegetable an, Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> or raise your own. Exactly. If you have if the you land or hunt or something, I think taking children okay to the uh, slaughterhouses would be a good I th- way. I think. I think if um, <laughs> meat, if meat was yeah. marketed the way yeah. cigarettes are, like with the pictures of what goes on at slaughterhouses, yeah. there's oh, a ton. So there's a ton of info out there to tap into, and like ultimately, I believe in free will. Like, I think people should know about it though, and I think education is a crucial part to make that change. There's tons of people have testimony. Like, I watched slaughterhouse. If slaughterhouses had a glass walls, and now I'm vegan, or now I cut out animal products, or now I'm pescatarian. Or Seaspiracy was released last year. Oh, I don't feel comfortable supporting, like, getting fish from my local grocery store. I either want to, like, go spirit myself or just stay mm-hmm. away from it. Like, education is a powerful catalyst, and there's a reason it takes these, like, backdoor documentaries to expose this, because there's so much money and power in people not knowing this. So I think just it's a form of empowerment to learn the truth of that industry and make your decision from there. Because I think a lot of people are in the dark. Like, you can there's there's not a there's nothing comes from shaming someone. Like, you can be like, you know, this general oh meat's bad, but it takes like a curiosity to know like, and it takes an awareness, and that comes back to healing yourself from the within, to and start healing the earth. Long term change can't come from shame because mm-hmm. you're just trying to live up to someone's expectation, and not because you genuinely care to help this environment. Mm. I encourage anyone to learn where their food comes from and to learn the repercussions of it because Definitely. it's your awareness and then you are empowered in making your decisions from there because a lot of yeah. people are in the dark they have like a vague understanding mcdonald's might not be getting their meat from the best place but they don't they don't know the truth because the truth is hidden to make these people more powerful yeah so the answer is don't stop eating meat it's learn educate yourself make your decision from there i think mm-hmm. that that's a lot more powerful of a move than just go vegan because you know people like meat and people like animal products and it's cultural there's nothing wrong with that and so when it turns into the meat versus vegan kind of fight debate like it should be it's not how about we look at factory farming (laughs) and let's let's agree like even as a media meat's been a part that's probably not meat's been a part of the human diet since our since our basic evolution we're not going to cut out meat it's not it's not a reasonable idea to move into a new earth or move into a more sustainable earth but how we source it and even vegetables and fruits like how we operate on this like global conveyor belt of food like why am i getting my oranges from argentina my my grains from like china you know like why my rice like why is it so globally impactful in that way yeah. Like, I saw this chart that was, like, here are passenger aviation every day. And it was, like, this, like, covering of planes across the U.S. And then it was, like, here is food transport planes. And it was, like, the same thing. It's crazy. So tapping back into, yeah, regenerative agriculture, I think, is the future. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely going to be animal products. Yeah. And I also think that when you start questioning where your food comes from, you start questioning where your clothes are coming from and who harvested Mm -hmm. things. And there's actually a website. I don't know if you can link this on the podcast, but you can see how many people are working for you. Mm -hmm. They call it how many slaves that you have, actually, depending on your lifestyle, where and what kind of vegetables you buy, the clothes that you buy. And it 
it's just a way to just bring awareness into all of your consumption. And then just one more note on greenwashing. There are tons of blogs that expose who is actually sustainable and who's just fluffing everything up with these keywords. So if you want to be more mindful, just look up companies and know for sure what their um, ethics are. I have not bought clothes from anywhere besides a thrift store in the last three years, but even that, you know, can have its own implications. But it's it's just about it's we don't need one like a few people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions doing it imperfectly. It's just about doing within your means of what you can achieve. Um, shoot, I was gonna say some animal agriculture. You go. That feels a lot more obtainable than trying to yeah. reach yeah. perfection even in a lifetime for somebody mm-hmm. because. You know, if me just, you know, getting reusable things and doing that, like, and that's like hard for me, but then I do that and then somebody else is doing something, somebody else is doing something like, I like what you say, like it all adds up, you know, it's not like I have to do every single (laughs) thing, otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah. And it's, it's this idea, like, I think we've been too rooted in the fact, oh, I'm individual. Your individual actions matter because you are actually part of a collective group of people. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's, you know, a hundred people choosing carpool and eco-friendly modes of transportation does offset someone driving like their super heavy diesel vehicle. Like there are balls that you can roll and they snowball into something greater and more impactful overall. And that's, yeah, that comes back to like, that comes back to that awareness. That's why I think to start healing the earth, you start within yourself because I think there is a lack of empathy in the world right now. There's a lack of connection. Maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's the government. You, there's probably a lot of things that cultivates people's lack of empathy, but I think helping people build empathy and understanding is so crucial to change. I don't think it's like shaming or blaming or, or, or shifting. Like I'm, more environmental than you. I think it's cultivating back to that empathy. And I think education is a powerful catalyst for that because it's objective. Like if you are presented with facts, you it is within your power to like relate to them or use them, but it's not like an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it can cultivate empathy. And I think that even has its own layers, like tying back to like family and culture and how we operate as a society, you know, has that contributed to a lack of empathy? Is social media like added to our em- collective empathy or taken away from it? Like it's so multi-layered. And that's why just starting back to that inner awareness and that inner connection to yourself before you even go try to connect to nature because you are nature, just cultivating a practice that's self-care and beautiful and that's why I love what you do so much you're like really anchoring in that for people and that's helping the earth even if you're not like thinking like oh these people are going to stop using straws because I'm talking about self-love there are snowball effects yeah so interconnected I also think that I've been told and been in conversations about how we treat our women on this earth is reflective on how we treat this planet. Like the feminine in general Mm. isn't honored, this like softness and receptivity. Like the earth literally takes everything that we throw at her and just turns it into something like trees will grow between sidewalks and things like Mm -hmm. that. And Mm -hmm. I also think as people start honoring the divine feminine, which exists in male cis people as well, that's also something that will be reflective. So I read a list and it was the top 100 things to do to make the earth more sustainable. And in the top five things to make the earth sustainable, you know, it's the ones you think of, cutting fossil fuels, cutting back on plastics, 
educating women and girls was in the top five. Mm. Helping the feminine um, embody that and learn and have the means to support themselves is one of the most sustainable things we can do for this earth. Because in the global, what is it? Is it the global south? The global, I don't know what word they use, so I don't, I'm just going to put a blank there. But um, women, women are more likely to face domestic violence in times of climate, climate emergencies, like extreme flash flooding or heat or um, similar related things. And women empowered in their decisions and education are more likely to get positions of leadership or have job control, and they're more likely to, and I'm not going to say like population control because I think it's a myth, and I think the earth can support so many people if we tap into using its resources collectively, collectively but it does help like women make empowered decisions about their own bodies and about birthing children. Educating women and girls is as important as not using straws, which is such like an easy one to go back to, but like mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Right. That's interconnected once again. Yeah, and I've never really heard it called Father Earth. <laughs> Brother Nature. Yeah. Brother Nature. That's so I funny. Like that. No, it is interesting that environmentalism is seen <laughs> as almost a feminine thing when it's 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 a human thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird like attitude towards it like oh it's girly to like make steps to be more environmental it's actually just the gender binaries are really wild <laughs> yeah well it's interesting because you think mother earth you start talking about these things like uh nature and nurture and all the things mm -hmm. that the mother earth mm -hmm. provides us and then you think about the woman and the child and how the things that the woman provides for the child are a lot similar to the things that and how do we treat our us. feminine yeah exactly mm -hmm. So, but the interesting yeah it, it, i love just tapping back into that idea that um that healing ourselves heals so much because healing like our mother father wounds mm -hmm. does have a helpful effect healing our relationship to the feminine healing our traumas healing our our stories around like yeah gender binaries is incredibly impactful mm -hmm. and it it it's so interconnected the worst thing i think say to do for the earth is to just do nothing and the best thing to do is to do within your own means even if you don't always see the clear connection but just having a meditation practice having tapping into people like Hitomi who do things like self-care tapping into music or frequencies that are helpful it's healing something and in that healing that will expand mm. and connect you back to your ultimate healer which is the earth whether it's mama earth or father earth or non-gender fluid earth you know like. yeah. gender non-conforming earth <laughs> they earth it could be anything what do you think about i mean there are already climate refugees there mm -hmm. are projected to be millions of climate refugees and for that reason a lot of people think that it's unethical to have kids in this climate crisis what are your thoughts on that because part of me understands that argument however obviously if you're living off-grid and providing everything yourself it's different but it does scare me there's going to be almost nine billion people on the planet by 2050 or something mm -hmm. like that so personally just with what i've studied i will not have children if i don't think i'll give them a livable planet but it goes back to that perfectionism and we can't we can't expect everyone to just stop having kids and i think um our our attitude towards families has changed and i think we have started viewing families as um not that like idea like a a man and a wife and two kids like it can be 
adopted children it can be one child it can be I think the view of families is like you need to have like 20 children and like is a very like old mentality so our idea of families evolved I think in a really positive way but if you choose to have children yeah think about the world you want to bring for them think about the world you want to anchor in for them but if that's your calling like that doesn't make you less environmentalist and bringing new life into the earth is beautiful and maybe you know you're going to raise a generation that's like the absolute earth warrior generation and taking the time to educate your kids and bring them into nature and and connect back with them will anchor in for generations to come because we humans don't want this to like be the end game for humans we're just failing to recognize how our actions might be impacting that you know i think it's a biological thing to want to have kids you don't have to have kids but yeah, the answer isn't have no children. It's it's think about the full picture. And maybe have that motivate you to incite positive change, Absolutely. knowing you want to leave a better planet behind and making their education on the climate crisis and sustainability mm-hmm. even more a part of their life. Yeah. I mean, it's going to have to be a part of their life. It's ab- every generation to come, if we don't deal with it in this current timeline, is going to have to deal with our, our inaction or our action. So I think, yeah, like, think about, if you want to have children, think about the world you want to bring them into and take steps to anchor that in. That's fair. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like having a child is also a collective responsibility, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is our collective future generations that we're leaving onto this earth. So it's a a responsibility we all share Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, like, I like that word, like, if you have a child, what's the responsibility to the earth to bring them into? But yeah, population control is, is a hugely, um, it's a racist myth and it's, it's an untrue myth because earth, there's a quote, it says, earth has enough to provide for everyone's need, but not everyone's greed. But if we could tap into earth's resources in a, in a, in a more positive way, like why do we have like acres and acres of rainforest shut down to grow soy when we could you know a smaller portion and more abundance and more variety there's like thousands of varieties of corn and we only know about three of them like there's just different monocropping issues that that we have that are super important to like become cognitive of I think that making education and awareness more fun will be helpful uh, and maybe less anxiety ridden. It's kind of dark pretty quick. Yeah, just, <laughs> my, the most important thing is having the actionable step you can take because in yeah. so many of these articles I read that make me spiral, it's like I, w- there's no solution to any of these things. So that feels really helpful. If we created the problem, relieving. we can create the solution. I love that. And... tapping back into the idea of like indigenous knowledge like science teaches what indigenous knowledge knows like we have an ancient understanding of how to live in harmony with the earth california actually so it's it's a really big myth to think that indigenous peoples like were primitive like they had a very beautiful understanding of the earth and they were incredibly intelligent how they operated like they would burn swaths of forest every year and that would be fire control. And California actually is now implementing talking to indigenous leaders and the tribes in California, how to go back to burning, burning forests in a fire control way. And that's an indigenous practice. Like 
there is so much knowledge and some knowledge has probably been lost but there is so much knowledge that we have to look at through other people's lens not just the lens of like what we think we need to do but like the lens of people who are the ultimate and first providers of the earth like indigenous peoples globally make up about five percent of the population but they protect 80 percent of our biodiversity like there is a clear understanding that we need to turn back to the first people who helped cultivate and protect this land and listen to them because science science will take like 20 years to figure out what indigenous already knows it reminds me of uh when I was a kid, actually, when I was in kindergarten, uh, my kindergarten teacher, her name was Mrs. Davis, and she was a uh, full-blood Native American. And every year outside of our school, we had a big prairie. And um, every year at this certain time, we would do like the annual prairie burning. And um, she would like, we would all sing these medicine songs that she taught us while we would burn oh. the prairie. And mm-hmm. she would go around and like you were saying, like the annual burnings and stuff, it just kind of made me remember that. And it's like yeah. m- more of that for the so kids, beautiful. you know, making it fun, you know, like singing songs about it when we're learning and, you know, making it like a, a multifaceted thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I think our ego can distract us, but nothing feels better than being in nature. Nothing's more fun or pure expansive everything we built has been in some way contingent and inspired by nature skyscrapers they're like really big trees that we like stared at <laughs> like everything airplanes <laughs> airplanes or birds like we are even in our most industrialized way we are still inspired by nature and we are still connected to her cars horses mm-hmm. like there is there is nothing that separates us but our own mind from nature and there's a lot of brainwashing behind big, powerful people who want us to be separate because it allows them to profit, profit, profit at the expense of us. Like billionaires are trying to go to space right now because they don't have to deal with the implications of their actions. They can have the means to get out where we have to deal with like the 1%'s actions. The 99% is gonna have like a pretty interesting time dealing with the repercussions. It's also, yeah, Individual responsibility matters, but also we have to look at accountability a little bit. Why do you think that's a common trend for billionaires to only care mostly about themselves or about like their own projects or why is that? I don't think you can become a billionaire without losing some sort of empathy. Or morality, because Mm -hmm. to get that much money, you have to exploit someone somewhere. Yeah. And all of them are. Mm. Yeah. And every billionaire is exploiting someone. You can become a billionaire. I don't know that factually, but it it may be true. I feel like that's the truth. Especially if you look at that website, massive wealth. Yeah, yeah, wealth forwarding. It's and how is that environmental? Easy. It's you know, it's all so connected. Yeah. I read that you can only be a billionaire by exploiting someone or by inheritance, one or the other. Which inheritance at some point? That's kind of a exploited someone. But why would you want to give that up? If you you were born into that, you know, so. why would you be like, oh, I'm good? Because they can't like, even spend yeah. all that money. <laughs> yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if you have all that money, you can't. There's like a website where you can try to spend Bill Gates wealth. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like you can buy like 5,000 private jets and like 20 yeah. cities and like you still can't spend it all. That's you actually hilarious. can't That's spend funny. that much money in a lifetime. Yeah, I just don't get why we have 
all the resources that we need and yet we're not living tapping into in it full sustainability on this planet and just all being stoked i think know? i think I when in, why, when know? the industrial revolution happened we were so focused on what we could do mm-hmm. and what was possible and we probably didn't have the same understanding of like pumping you know toxic smoke oh yeah billy just died because he spends 20 hours in the factory every day maybe maybe the lungs and the smoke are connected even monocropping it was probably Mm -hmm. like oh let's just grow a bunch of food for everybody they probably didn't realize the repercussions of that or genetically modified so in the 1960s so in places like europe there's a lot more walkable cities america has a severe lack of walkable cities or, um, or bikeable. public transportation. So in the 1960s, the idea of planned obsolescence tapped in from, um, it was an automobile, I think it was, I want to say it's Ford. I could be wrong. This is off the top of my head. But the idea of planned obs- ob- obsolescence was when you buy a car, a new one would come in and you'd want to upgrade it. And that was in the 1960s. And what would happen is these automobile people would start buying out huge swaths of land and you know predominantly in like black communities or people of color or you know really not marginalized communities and they would just start building like these freeway ramps and these roads and making everyone reliant on cars and then these cars would be planned to be you know, the less exciting or break down. So this idea of planned obsolescence, like I don't think they thought of the consequences of that because mm-hmm. in that same note, I could say we could have gone the other way and made like a really durable product mm-hmm. and you only need to buy like one car in your lifetime. Yeah, but why this, that's not profitable. I mean, exactly. that goes back to the whole greed thing. Yeah, You know, it's, it's like it's why people, that people don't really know that much about like Tesla's work for free energy because the whole greed thing was like... What if we upgraded things instead of just made them really durable? Mm. So that taps back into like what truly matters. Like, does it matter that these people are profiting or does it matter that we have a livable planet? And I think the the notions around keeping us um, like like ignoring that or like not acknowledging that are really powerful because... We, and if we tap into that awareness, like, this isn't going to work. This isn't actually how we should be functioning. It collectively can make change. I truly think, like, this year especially, but just this period in our lives is very historical. And I think in times like the American Revolution or the Renaissance or other times humanity has greatly shifted how it operates, they didn't quite know that that was how it was going to happen while it was happening. But I think this period is a period of collective shifts, which is why I am ultimately optimistic about the future of the earth and why I think it's my calling, because I see this like power in changing people and helping us see like the flaws in how we're operating. And not just in an environmental sense, but in the ways that it all affects everyone. So ultimately I'm very optimistic about how we could shift. And I do think we're in a period of historical change. And the quicker we jump on like to the sustainability and to the like that question of like what does the earth look like operating at its most beautiful within its limits and within its resources potential like you know your children are going to ask you like what side you're on like I really feel like we're in a period of historical change and I think it's starting it's already kind of like the rumblings of it been happening for a few years but like something tells me this year like we're really going to have to 
Maybe it needs to hit a tipping point. It's like the, yeah, the I, 99th monkey kind of I thing. I think it's that like it'll be darkest people. before the dawn. It'll be yeah. a little overwhelming for a second. But I think oh. what can emerge from that, just like it's emerged for humans before, is something really beautiful and positive and different. Imagine this earth just for thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> of years to come. Just people just like just living in harmony <laughs> and well, celebrating arts and dance and creation and technology. If you've ever read like futuristic like novels or like projections, of humanity that aren't maybe dystopias like they're all very modern they're all very like oh cities can be this like floating green like (laughs) solar panel like we have hope i think humanity is ultimately hopeful and i don't think we want to go extinct no it's so funny to know that it's not the earth that's gonna die it's us we're just gonna be a layer of crustaceans when we (laughs) but um, we're gonna be the alien's fossil fuels (laughs) yeah no i'm just gonna suck you in and make soil out of you when i say save the earth or when we say save the earth we mean save ourselves yeah Yeah. the earth will the other species of plants and animals yeah we're wiping out a lot of things it's so rare like this planet um we we watched a really good sci-fi movie Anyata. about what, what was the one about the spaceship and they get like thrown off course. This is the most realistic sci-fi movie. I think they're so beneficial because they remind people the importance of nature. But it's called Anyata. They go on this spaceship and there is this technology named Anyata. It's a Swedish film and they can put their head in this dome and feel the elements. It's like a metaverse. When they're on this spaceship, they can take a walk in a forest, whatever their safe space is, and more and more people start to come into this room to sit with this little dome simulation and eventually as things on the spaceship start to fall apart well they're on the spaceship in the first place because they're they're leaving earth because it's like humans destroyed earth so they're on their way to a different planet and during that that ride like a little screw throws off the whole (laughs) ship off course and then right. so they were going into this room that you're talking about, which is just like a recreation of Earth. And then this, but, the consciousness of Aniata literally can't take people's darkness because she's taking it away from them. And then it explodes and then no one has access to it. They all go crazy. They have arcades and bowling and it's like a huge mall, but slowly their resources start to run out. And it's just so eye-opening. Why and does it the, remind me of Wally? It's oh, kind yeah. of like that. <laughs> and, like but like, towards the end, they... I mean, I'm, I'm not. Should I give away the ending, or should? If you don't want to know the ending, skip. Yeah, if you don't want to know the ending, just skip. Just skip this for like a minute. <laughs> but anyway, so they get thrown off course, and it takes their ship like I don't even know how many. Twenty-five million. How many years. thousands or millions of years to even find another planet that is somewhat sustainable? And by then, everyone is already way dead and way extinct. And it just reminds me of how valuable this earth is right here like we have this earth and the, that's what we've got the earth so provides let's do this everything you know? necessary <laughs> for like we could continue to evolve and survive with with our intelligence probably for such an extended period of time mm-hmm. which is why I, I argue that we're less intelligent now more than ever because we are killing the only planet we can call home mm-hmm. and like people go oh mars colonization that's not going to be available to you and me that'll be like a hundred people and that kind of sounds miserable you gotta like live in a dome or in a spaceship like no which is not well it's not that bad <laughs> it's a kind of an exciting future if you think it's about exciting. if humans can be sustainable here and then expand into space continue to explore if we have but our, we have to take foundation. care of our home planet it, yeah. mars can't be our escape plan and it won't be like most of our escape plan like we have to actually yeah. deal with with what we have now but 
earth asks for nothing in return. She provides us with everything we could possibly need, food to support ourselves, ways to build shelter, clean water. It's, it's our undoing that it is our actions that have reversed that. And it, we see it. We see her anger and her disappointment in these extreme weather events and these mass massive extinctions and endangerment of species and yeah tapping back into that knowledge that we actually have everything we could possibly need and the rest of it is busy busy like outside noise and kind of like conditioning and is i think really key can we go back do you want to say something to that or you go first and i'll go next no after you bro Mine's kind of a curveball, so you go ahead. So, so is mine. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't know how far mine will go, but I just wanted to say it, um, just to kind of see where, where all of you are at with it, because there's some people who are super on it. What's your opinion on the flat Earth theory? <laughs> how, does, how does that line up with what you're saying? That is a curveball. Like, how, how do you talk about this with somebody who talks about flat Earth theory? You know, flat earth is so interesting to me because I have never flown over Antarctica, so like I can't really. Oh my god! My my well, so the earth flat around. I mean, we probably still need. Or to. or you mean or, or you mean just even like that could relate to anyone's spiritual beliefs or, or any other belief it's in necessary. general, right? Right, you know, right, like right. where it's yeah, like yeah, exactly. isn't necessarily an alignment so, of just like oh this is this is the earth and we're gonna destroy it. Like what right. for yeah, someone like, who believes Blue that Mary. we're gonna die and go to heaven or just different things like that? Like why do you really even care what happens to this earth? you know or or what do you actually think about flat earth theory like, my <laughs> my do you think that's possible so i was i, I was um coconut mana does not think i don't possible. believe that shit <laughs> i was thinking about thinking about like there was a good question that came up and it's like what do you believe is the truth and one thing i practice is with discernment what what i try to believe in is what i can see with my own two eyes so when I'm watching things about climate change, I'm watching the physical evidence happen. I'm watching people and floods get taken away. I'm watching wildfires rip across the town I live in. You know, that's something I see with my own two eyes. That's mm -hmm. evidence to me. So for the flat earth, I have not seen earth from space with my own two eyes. Right. Therefore, it could be anything. So... Yeah. You don't have enough evidence to make a decision. No, and I think it, it helps really me with, with learning and with the grown mind, growth mindset. Like, with within using my Instagram to teach, like, I am learning alongside everyone else. Mm -hmm. So I think climate change is so great and education is so great because it's, like, you can trust your own two eyes what you're seeing and the facts kind of support what you're seeing. Yeah. So I try to believe in, like, what I can see with my own two eyes. So, like, can I, can I see heaven? personally no does that mean it's not real i have no idea can i see you know um muhammad or jesus or uh or i'm thinking more the can i see god or allah or any of that maybe not with my own two eyes but does that mean it's not real i don't know i haven't seen everything mm -hmm. so i think trying to use yeah like your own discernment and what you physically see is good with flat earth and with climate change i think it's so crucial to use your own two eyes because it's reality yeah and for we, people who want to ignore it you can just be like have you looked at that's like, why i love what, what parley yeah. what parley does yeah, and taking sure. those people out or like i don't think there's a single person who hasn't had some implication of climate change even if it's like your cousin's ranch got flooded like there is 
a level of reality to it that is settling in for people and that's yeah. why i don't think it's political i don't think there's sides it's like yeah. do you see this with your eyes or are you still needing some more awakening <laughs> and no matter what you believe whatever your spiritual belief is or if you think the earth is flat that doesn't mean you shouldn't take care of it or you shouldn't do your own research yeah or you shouldn't totally, absolutely uh, look at where you're the getting only your food or your clothes yeah or how you're treating the environment in the present it goes yeah the present in your own two eyes like what are you seeing what's going on anchor that in too along mm. with whatever beliefs you have if you believe mm. any of it hmm. nice you got a curveball <laughs> uh i don't know i'm not sure <laughs> what about <laughs> you yeah there. i mean i'd I rather more. i mean keep going. I this is more. a platform <laughs> you know i'm just here now. to hold space you know he's <laughs> getting so, goofy um do you want to keep it fun I mean, whatever you want. Uh, I kind of wanted to see, like, have you been able to track, like, a measurable impact made through your Instagram slash OnlyFans? Like, do you know if it's actually working? Like, how do you know if somebody's actually, like, tuning in to what you're sharing? I That's think regardless, if you stuff. follow me just for the booty pics, you still have to learn something because my story is either like a selfie or like some facts. Like yeah. even if you're just in it, like you're you're you're, you can't abs- get away from you're absorbing something. You're planting seeds. Yeah, no, sometime. and you're hooked. And I think I get more positive messages than you know. You're not doing anything for the earth. Um, like I'm learning. I'm. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> like. You know, I'm learning, like, thank you for teaching me. Thank you for this. And that's why grounding it in education and not shaming people, not trying to come from an emotional place, I think, is my method. Um, I can't... How do you measure... How do you measure the impact you make? I don't know... That's what I'm wondering. I don't know. I think... Yeah, grounding back into objectiveness and people coming onto my page knowing that there is going to be a level of it's deeper than photos it's more than just this mm-hmm. and um having hopefully people on it who are resonating with it in some way i think can cl- perform the collective but it's this isn't just my responsibility and i'm not like a better environmentalist than the next person who doesn't do that with their instagram it's just my niche and my method so if it helps spiral people into their own awareness and education then that's all i'm asking for and that's the helping the collective transformation and I've gotten some amazing DMs. I posted, you know, this video of a sea turtle. I try to not do super graphic stuff because I think it's more of a shock value and it can kind of like be really heavy to watch, but it was a sea turtle with a straw in its nose and it, you know, the straw got ripped out and the sea turtle was bleeding and you could just feel its pain and I shared it. And, and, and this is the straws thing, but someone was like, I, you know, I own a restaurant and I've completely canceled all shipments for straws in the future. Wow. which is because of that yeah mm-hmm. because there you go someone oh, and that's sick. hundreds of straws less a month at this one shop like that's awesome stuff like that is huge and i'm just one person but if i you know maybe that inspired that person to tell another right. restaurant friend like there is we are all this one entity so mm-hmm. by putting our intentions and love into a space it will vibrate and it's my niche it's this thing I'm doing and I haven't really looked back since I started but yeah I think it comes back to education my parents are teachers and education is what started my journey so I hope it can start other people's journey 
And you're donating money yeah. to charities that are actually making a change. So yeah, that that as well. Like you can trace a direct impact into it. Yeah, I feel like collectively, uh, people are they might feel disempowered in a way, or feel like, oh well, what am, what can I really do? Or what is this going to like? How is this going to make a difference? But mm-hmm. we really do. We really can make a difference, and mm-hmm. that's what I. I witness and I see from other people's lives who are actively putting themselves out there and really cultivating that. I'm like, wow, like so many people commented that you saved their life or that you changed mm-hmm. their life or something, and or that like you just said, like a restaurant stopped uh, buying straws and using that. It's like, wow, like, we we really can make a difference. We can't change or know? control people, but we can plant seeds. And if I'm just planting a bunch of seeds and some people are taking it and growing something within themselves, within my lifestyle, I do want to continue to make like, you know, more and more within my means of environmentalism. But I do live within a a sustainability mindset, within a, you know, not excessive consumption, not my diet, my clothes, my lifestyle. And that's just me. And maybe it can inspire others around me to live within their own sustainability needs. And sharing that online can be a powerful tool. But coming back to education, I think that's always what I'm going to anchor into because it it allows people to relate to things in their own way without any emotional judgment or shame. I mean, you can follow me and never take anything from it, but you'll still kind of have a seat in there. Yeah. It's in the background. <laughs> yeah. At least it's there. Like, oh, shoot, I was just trying to see some bikini photo, but I'm learning about, like, the penguins in Antarctica. <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> there's something there. Sounds so, like a very uh, hot turn-on. <laughs> so there's a paradigm shift happening on this planet. Mm-hmm. It seems like people are slowly waking up as they choose, and I see the younger generations really stepping into more empathy and more care for the earth and care for each other and just be more compassionate so things are looking great things are looking up mm-hmm. yeah and hopefully we can have some fun with it what is what does like a new earth look like for you guys like what does living on a new planet or living in a sustainable way what does that offer for you in your own life what does that open up in your realms but what do you want to do if everything was good you know <laughs> what, what do you do with your time what do you do with each other how do you want to live well, what, what is that? What is 5D? What is New Earth? What does that look like? We just started watching Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and so the hobbits live in a very New Earth way. They just <laughs> we farm, need those little tunnel homes. and they're all about community. And it seems like they live sustainably with the earth. I think more people just having their own farms and livestock. And I mean, what did the Native Americans do? They literally just lived in harmony and prayed and walked with their ancestors and I think they battled sometimes they too. battled with each other <laughs> yeah. I mean like on a day-to-day basis mm. it's not like they were going to like a nine-to-five job so they were just like taking care of their community and I think that we just are so conditioned to feel like we have to be productive and really that's not how our physiology is set up so I think we would just chill and love each other <laughs> like and take care of our people and maybe there'd still be battles and what stuff, what i want to bring to awareness is we're never <laughs> going to reach a perfect zero society but it's it's the journey to getting to it that i think could be ultimately it's like okay america is this like experiment and it's this experiment that's going on for like 248 ish years right but 
America was never meant to turn into this utopian society, but it's within this continuous unfolding of how to anchor in a democracy, how to anchor in a good, just society that was attempted to be found that time ago. That is its potential and its power. So anchoring in a new earth, it's not about just all of a sudden we're like Pleiadian little Lumerian beings and everything's sunshine and rainbows. It's it's the process to getting there and how much we can do. How we'll never reach zero, but that doesn't mean we don't try to get to it. And and trying to reach it and trying to create that society and not just standing back and letting things happen, but like how can we get close to it? I think is key. Because, yeah, I don't, th- yeah, I think humans would have a hard time with, like, there is a part of our brains geared for some sort of simulation or some sort of, like, it's like if you're happy all the time, you're not happy anymore. Because you need, like, the painful times Too to happy. appreciate it. So, yeah, we can yeah. we can get closer and closer. And I think within that journey, within that climb to it, yeah. is going to be the most beautiful, ultimate potential of humans. And I think it's exciting to always have something to work towards. Like, how can we get better and better and improve and improve? And that's something to ask today. How can we take those steps to the perf- the utopia? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I feel like there's sometimes a disconnect between like, oh, let's just, like you said, like be like Lumerian and dance and play. And just like, <laughs> it's almost like don't even want to look or address kind of from yeah. an ungrounded perspective some of like the real issues. But then there's also the opposite of like just working, just being in the system, just like going off too. So how do you like integrate both? I think is it's important not all or nothing. Step to make. Like, yeah. How do you dance while you're also doing your job and, and fixing the planet and having <laughs> and fun too with your friends and family while also you it's know, just like you'll never be earth. a perfect being. We'll never have a perfect earth, but continuing every day to make steps to get to your own like mm-hmm. version of heaven, your own heaven on earth, your own like most godlike being your Christ consciousness, like that whole journey is the point. Yeah. Getting to it isn't, but yeah. getting closer to it is. And I think that that's also just grounded spirituality with you, which you both talk about a lot, is knowing you're this immensely powerful, infinite cosmic being, but also knowing we live in a physical reality. People, BIPOC individuals have different lived experiences. And yes, we have to like, keep our home safe and knowing also that like we have an immense capacity to like heal and manifest beyond that and bridging those things I think that's what Gen Z is going to do what I see a lot of people on social media who are woke doing and I think that things are hopefully going to be okay yeah Yeah. I don't I don't view like my most highest timeline and the most meaningful work as ever complete and within that, I think it's a lot of room for growth and changing how I view, you know, because even just envisioning what you think a sustainable earth looks like is kind of kind of hard to not just go into utopia land. Yeah. But how could we make more and more? And how could we push things that are oppressive and not serving us out so we can make room for things that are? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's going to be the beautiful chapter for humanity. Can we touch before we end the podcast and whatnot? Um, can we touch upon like forgiveness? Or I feel like it's, there's always been two sides in life, or there's even today, or there's like these extreme polarized opinions about everything. And mm-hmm. can we talk about maybe forgiveness and how to like just be like, okay, like, so like, yeah, we've been at war. Yeah, certain things have happened. Yeah, this is yeah. How do we make everyone feel seen who has had like systemic trauma? My English mm-hmm. teacher. <laughs> on November 4th, 2016, told me something, and it's something that 
I have thought about ever since he told me it. And it's people on the other side of you think that they are just as right as you are. And that awareness has let me view people with compassion, even if I completely think the opposite of them. Because I'm standing here with all my knowledge and my lens, and I just think I'm right. But they're standing there with the exact same thing, thinking the exact same thing about right. me. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I know it's like, obvious, yeah, sure. but I, <laughs> I was, I was no, always, totally. I was always just like, how do you think like that, or where does that come from? But I realize it's the same place it comes from, from within myself. Yeah. So holding that empathy in, like, okay, this is this has shaped my experience. What has shaped yours? And trying to come to we're more similar than we think. And these, these polarizing things, I think, distract us. And, you know, it's easier to conquer when we're divided. That kind of thing comes into play in my mind. So I think my favorite videos to watch are when people who seem like they should have completely opposite views, they sit down and they just listen to each other. And you don't have to agree, but coming from a place of respect and potential empathy, if they're not, like, harming someone or super, you know, criminal can can go a long way and I don't try to have friends with the exact same views as me because I enjoy the challenge and I enjoy disagreeing with people because it it either expands my growth or it helps me reiterate my own points so I think the issue with sides is it's hard to hold people that you view on your side accountable and it's hard to find middle ground with the people you view on the opposite side so coming back to a place of like they are actually we're in this together and we're viewing a same issue like is it it's like the divorce strategy like is it it's not you and me against each other it's you and me against the issue okay you tell me could you school us on nonviolent communication a little bit (laughs) well i think this is really important because like Wolfgang said, we're always just arguing with each other about who's right or wrong, and then literally no change is taking place. Yeah. And nonviolent communication, one method that I recently learned, there's an acronym FFNR, which stands for fact, feeling, need, request, and you separate your emotions with the fact of what's happening. Like the fact is climate change is happening, and like we both have different feelings about it can I ask you to bring more awareness to, I don't know, your straws or shopping at like mainstream um, fast fashion stores? Mm. I think that that could be helpful. But and I think the education is good with that too because subjective. of course, if you know all this information and you're just armed with it yeah. and you just see somebody with a straw, like it's easy to want to like, ah, yeah, like, rah, come on. Like shame. You know? But um, yeah, educating, I think, is good because then it gives them the opportunity to look at it themselves in a way that's not like uh, having it, a finger pointed at them. It relates exactly. them. And even on people who disagree with climate change or people who, sorry, view climate change as an issue, like the root of that, like back to the feelings, is fear. Like ultimately it's two True. people afraid of something. So having empathy for like where that fear comes from, maybe it's someone's fear of change, someone's fear of being wrong even. Like acknowledging that there's actually like an emotional response behind any belief is really powerful interesting it's cultivating empathy it's going to come back to that i don't know how you want to wrap this up but i actually have a poem that i love it's called homesick a plea for our planet (laughs) um who's the author by andrea gibson in this book titled you better be lightning you better be 
it's really amazing. <laughs> Thank you again for taking the time to oh, do yeah. this. Oh, yeah. I didn't even talk about palm oil. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> okay. In the fifth grade, I won the science fair with a project on climate change that featured a papier-mâché ozone layer with a giant hole through which a papier-mâché sun burned the skin of a Barbie in a bikini on a lawn chair, glaciers melting like the ice cubes in her lemonade. It was 1987 in a town that could have invented red hats, but the school principal gave me a gold ribbon and not a single bit of attitude for my radical political stance because neither he nor I knew it was political. Science had not yet been fully framed as leftist propaganda. The president did not have a Twitter feed starving the world of facts. I spent that summer as I had every summer before, racing through the forest behind my house, down the path my father called the old logging road, to a meadow thick with raspberry bushes, whose thorns were my very first heroes because they did nothing with their life but protect what was sweet. Sundays I went to church but struggled to call it prayer if it didn't leave grass stains on my knees. Couldn't call it truth if it didn't come with a dare to crawl into the cave by the creek and stay there until someone counted all the way to 100. I thought 100 was the biggest number there was. My mother absolutely blew my mind the day she said 101. Billionaires never grow out of doing that same math with years, can't conceive of counting past their own lifespans, believe the world ends the day they do. Why are the keys to our future in the hands of those who have the longest commutes from their heads to their hearts, whose greed is the smog that keeps us from seeing our own nature and the sweetness we are here to protect? Do you know sometimes when gathering nectar, bees fall asleep in flowers? Do you know fish are so sensitive snowflakes sound like fireworks when they land on the water? Do you know sea otters hold hands when they sleep so they don't drift apart? Do you know whales will follow their injured friends to shore, often taking their own lives so as not to let a loved one be alone when he dies? None of that is poetry. It is just the earth being who she is, in spite of us stamping barcodes on the sea, in spite of us acting like Edison invented daylight. Dawn presses her blushing face to my window, asks me if I know the record in my record collection looks just like the inside of trees. Yes, I say, there is nothing you have ever grown that isn't music. You are the bamboo in Coltrane's saxophone reed, the mulberries that fed the silkworms that made the slippers for the ballet the pine that built the loom that wove the hemp for Fida Kahlo's canvas, the roses that dyed her paint, hoping her brush could bleed for her body. Who more than earth has bled for us? How do we not mold our hearts after the first spruce tree who raised her hand and begged to be cut into piano keys so the elephants could keep their tusks? The earth is the right side of history, is the canyon my friend ran to when no one else he knew would echo his chosen name back to him, is the wind that wailed through 1956 Alabama until the poplar trees carved themselves into Dr. King's pulpit, is the volcano that pours the mercury into the thermometers held under our tongues, the earth takes our temperature, tells us when we are too hot, even after we've spent decades denying her fever. Our hands held to her burning forehead, we insist she is fine, while wildfires turn redwoods to toothpicks, readying the teeth of our apocalypse. She sends smoke signals all the way from California to New York City. Ash falls from the sky. Do you know the mountains of California used to look like they'd been set on fire because they were so covered in monarch butterflies? Do you know monarch butterflies migrate 3,000 miles using only the fuel they stored as caterpillars in the cocoon? 
We need so much less than we take. We owe so much more than we give. Squirrels plant thousands of trees every year just from forgetting where they left their acorns. If we aim to be just half as good as one of Earth's mistakes, we could turn so much around. Our living would be seed. The future would have roots. We would cast nothing from the garden of itself, and we would make the thorns proud. Damn. I love that. I got chills multiple times. <laughs> Thank you. That was a vibration racer. That was beautiful. <laughs> so go out there and do some good things, people listening. <laughs> it was very on brand. Yeah. <laughs> For the, uh, like, I Who was so. the author of that again? Andrea Gibson. Like wow. That. Not all of her poetry is based Thank on climate change. Thank you for channeling and sharing. It's one of my favorite. Wow. Is there anything else that you feel called to share or talk about in this space in I, this time? I have positive news because the ozone layer thing she mentioned at the beginning. Um, the ozone layer is actually healing because of the banning of uh, fluorocarbons in refrigeration and air conditioning and the ozone layer is actually going to heal by wow. like 2030. So it's not always bad and our actions make a difference. That's so good to know mm-hmm. in here. <laughs> Some positive news. Yeah. <laughs> the ozone layer will be healed in our lifetime. Wow. That's a good affirmation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. What do you think, buddy? Anything else in the tank? I could just go on and on, but I just wanna I just wanna honor (laughs) everyone's time and um, hour forty. I also wanna honor the the listener as well because you know, my mom just told me the other day, she's like, I don't have always, I always have time to listen to a two-hour podcast. So, <laughs> well, you don't have to listen you know? to it all at once. You can chop it up. <laughs> yeah, listen to it on a drive. Yeah. Yeah. Chop it up. And so, yeah. Yeah. Go get in nature. Meditate in your shower. <laughs> listen to them. Watch some documentaries. Watch this, you know. Just Tap go out there and just keep doing it. Because this is not just for us, but this is for all of our loving, supporting council members, the ones who follow devoutly and write us keep every week. In they the write time. in and they send us questions, and we're doing our best to keep up with all that. So thank you guys for inspiring us to keep this going because we love to do this. Um, you can make a difference. You. Yeah. So this podcast you. is sponsored by Council of Lit. So thank you so much to Council of Lit. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys. We out here for having. Thank um, you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me share what whatever was surfacing and for creating a space for future people to share and keep doing it. I hope two 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 year just continues to anchor in abundance and beautiful people on here. Heavens, yeah. Heavens, yeah.